The following program was produced by a community producer. The content, views, and opinions expressed are the sole responsibility of the community producer and do not reflect Malden Access Television, the City of Malden, or your cable provider. MATV welcomes your comments. Call us at 781-321-6400 or email us at access at matv.org. Good evening and welcome to Malden 02148. I'm your host this evening, Ed Lucy, and my guest this evening is Ron Hogan, Ron with the Hogan, City of Parking Department. Yes, uh, uh, interesting enough. Um, the official title is what? Uh, Director of Parking. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you know when I hear that, actually, uh, 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 when I first looked it up, uh, uh, the title was uh, Strategic Planning uh, Analyst. Yep. Right. And I thought that was more impressive. It sounded like uh, <laughs> J.P. Morgan uh, investment yeah, side or whatever. Yeah. But then, uh, and then I was thinking, gee whiz, um, when you're driving down the street when school's uh, starting, you see the the no no reflection negatively on them on the crossing guards. They, they got all got supervisor posted on yeah, the back yeah, of their yeah, jacket. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. but in any way, Ron has had an interesting career with the city of Malden. Um, I've known him more recently than than. Uh, some other people that, that are aware of his, his involvement, but that uh, he started as an as an appointee of the retirement board some years ago, and then became a consultant on some of the projects that the city was involved in, the big projects. And now he is, as he indicated, he's involved with the parking. But the interesting thing I find about the parking, Ron, has uh, been coming down here for, for a lot of years doing the show on Wednesday, and uh, up until fairly recently, it was extremely difficult. On Pleasant Street to get a parking space, uh, whether it was daytime when when CVS was down there, oftentimes I'd have to circle uh, Pleasant Street two or three times to find a parking space, and and most times I'd end up on Exchange Street and then walk over, and then even coming into the show uh, on Wednesday nights here uh, at MATV, at, at this end of Pleasant Street, it was r rare to get a space quick, you know, unless right. you were just get a lucky, and. Um, I started to notice some months ago that, I, that when I was on Pleasant Street, there were actually parking spaces uh, available. Yeah. And depending on where you wanted to go, in most instances, they were close enough um, that you wouldn't have to walk too far. And that was also true um, in the area on Exchange Street where the restaurant is, that uh, in, in more recent times, there's spaces there even during the day. And I think that when I talked to you, the obvious reason was because of the parking meters. Yeah, that's right, Ed. I mean, as much as I think we all would have loved to have been able to solve it without the need to put meters on the street and sort of ask visitors to pay, I, I think that over the, last, the, the course of the last 20, 25 years, everything's been tried, right? It's, yeah. it's just um, ultimately we needed something that really pushed the issue of folks that weren't going to be a short-term visitor but were going to be a long-term visitor from not looking to the street as an option. And, and uh, you know, in some cases our businesses were sort of their own worst enemy by – 
by taking a spot in the street and moving it up one spot and then moving it back a spot. And so we, you know, we tried all the different things over the years and we ultimately believed, and I think that the results have, have, um, have proven it to be true, that we needed a mechanism that really encouraged folks to utilize the right parking spot for the right use. And so I think we're back to the street being used for the short-term visitors, somebody coming for lunch, somebody coming for dinner, and that somebody who might be here for eight or nine hours over the course of the day is parking in a, a more appropriate place like a, a, a garage or a surface parking lot that might not be exactly in front of the location they're going to, but they're making that trip one time in the morning and one time in the afternoon. So there's, there's no doubt we've had more comments from folks uh, about the impact of available parking. You know, Ed, we had to walk the walk as city employees and, and get our own folks off the street too, right? Yeah. Because, you know, it's not fair to the to the residents and the businesses, and we've done that. It's made yeah. a huge impact. Well, that was my, one of the, my reactions was when I, I started to realize there were um, uh, spaces available when I came up here in the in the evenings to the MATV. I said, well, and, and even in the daytime, I might have a reason to be downtown to pay my water bill or whatever yeah. with, the, with the temporary city uh, hall office there on, a, on the corner of uh, uh, on Pleasant and uh, Washington. South Washington, yeah. Yeah, but that, uh, I said, well, the, the, the reason the spaces are available, I said, the people that are here all day must have, have to go somewhere else because they correct. couldn't feed the meter. That's so, correct. That's so we're serving a positive face. It is. Now, one of the things that maybe you can touch a little bit on, because if people aren't too often downtown, the procedure for the free time that sure. you have. So, so what we did was the um, we sort of took a look at the type of merchants that exist on Pleasant Street, on Exchange Street, on Main Street in particular. Um, and we started with the pilot on Pleasant Street where we installed uh, these, they're called sensors, right? So the t you'll, you'll notice the top of the meters on Pleasant Street look a little bit different than the meters elsewhere because they have these ears on them. And what the ear does is it recognizes when a vehicle pulls into the spot and it provides a 15-minute courtesy time when somebody pulls in. And the idea is to try to avoid inconveniencing somebody who truly is stopping in to pick up a cup of coffee at a business or to get a to-go water at, at All Seasons Table or Hugh O'Neill's or, or Mystic Station or is, you know, running in and out of a bank for 15 minutes and, and for whom, you know, having to reach in for a, a quarter or, or, or even a credit card for an hour transaction might seem inconvenient. So, so we did that on Pleasant Street. We're now actually going to expand that to... Um, the spots along Main Street where um, where the new apartment building is on 480 Main, right? So you've got a you've got a Honey Honey coffee shop there. You got a Lapel's Dry Cleaners. You start to come around the corner there. You've got some other Converse Square. Converse Square. You've got some other short use short term businesses you might frequent Dunkin there. Dunkin' Donuts. There's the Bubble Tea Place, and then and then continuing on until Exchange Street. So we've actually ordered and we'll be installing the sensors will, that will allow us to extend that functionality along there. We've left Exchange Street the way it is, um, simply because there isn't the type of business there, right? So we've got we've got a couple good restaurants and some good gaming places, but they tend to be longer visitors, and we just didn't feel like, you know, that type of functionality was needed there. But it's been been very well received. They're not perfect, right? So they rely upon they rely upon radar that's sitting within these very high tech uh, heads, and so occasionally it may not pick up a vehicle. But what happens is when you pick up your vehicle, by the time you when you pull up your vehicle, by the time you get out and look at the meter, you should see 15 minutes on it, and that tells you that it's that it's recognized your vehicle and it's giving you an automatic 15 minutes. And it's uh, sort of interesting when you see somebody pull up and they get out and they look at the meter, and then all of a sudden the 15 minutes comes on and they go, "Okay, that's good enough for what I'm doing." And they oftentimes are able to do their errand and get out without having to do anything else. And uh, and we think that that's that's been a real plus. The um, 
um, the time is, what is it the same time every day that the the meat is uh, are required to be uh, paid for? Yeah, so Monday through Saturday, um, uh, seven a.m. seven p.m. You know, oh, so seven a.m. seven a.m. Okay. to seven p.m. Um, well, there's not a lot of users that time of the morning, and and it's uh, you know mostly what we see is people just utilizing the free time that that exists for, yeah. you know, for the quick hits. Busier at nighttime, you know what I mean. So we're a little bit more. Um, Diligent at nighttime about trying to make sure that folks are sort of doing the right thing, but um, it's it's absolutely been effective. There's no yeah. doubt about it. Yeah, the um, when when the when the system was implemented, which is only last fall, I think. Yeah, it's been uh, about nine, eight or nine months now. Maybe yeah. about eight months. Um, what, what was the kind of a cost to, uh, to install all these sure. meters? So we. Um, because we had no existing infrastructure, which means no poles. So a lot of cities have a pole and an old mechanical meter sitting in a housing. And, and as much as that looks like an old meter, the reality is these are all made so that you can pop off the head of the meter, pull out the guts, drop in an electronic meter like what we have, and, and you could get away with it for you know $450 per meter. Uh, because we were starting from completely from scratch and had to drill holes in the street, which was a, a whole project in and of itself, set every pole buy every housing, buy every electronic piece, you know, it ends up being right around $1,000 per meter uh, in, in the upfront installation cost. Yeah. Have you had any problem with vandalism? No vandalism. We had one meter taken out by somebody who was uh, plowing a sidewalk uh, <laughs> during the most recent storm. Yeah. We found the meter across the street in a snowbank, uh, so we had a little bit of loss there. Uh, we were able to, you know, keep the housing and replace one of the meters. But so far, uh, knock on wood, um, absolutely not. What's great about the meters is um, the moment that a coin gets stuck in a meter, the moment that that credit card reader gets stuck, we get notifications to staff. And so we're able to keep the, the most frustrating thing for folks is pulling up to a meter and it doesn't work, right? If somebody jams a quarter in a meter, it sends us a message immediately because the sensor is blocked, you know? So we're, we're diligent about responding to those things immediately to avoid the frustration, but but we have not had vandalism. We have not yeah. had that. The, uh, the interesting thing that we mentioned, because years ago there was all kinds of tricks people had with meters. <laughs> they were, of course, they were the old-fashioned type of yeah. meters, but particularly this time of year, you could take a coin, wet it, and, and yeah. put it in the slot, and it wouldn't <laughs> it wouldn't go down, but it would register, yeah. so you'd have, yeah. like, unless they were timing you... Uh, in some fashion to see if you overran the two hours, yeah. which might be the math. You can sit there with a quarter yeah. and not, not yeah. go further than that. But these are pretty high tech now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, 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 um, has there been a fall uh, fall off or an increase in the uh, in tickets? Do you know? Yeah, no. I think I think if anything, there's been a little bit of a fall off because. Um, the meters provide great certainty about how long you have to park, right? And so in some ways, if you pull up and it says this to, uh, and now one thing to keep in mind is before we put the meters in, the time limit in the square was one hour. So the number of people that were going over that hour was pretty high because in a lot of times it wasn't sufficient to get your business done. So when we put the meters in, we also changed the traffic regulations to two hours in the square. And so a combination of that and giving somebody a meter that makes it very clear you know, how long they have, I think has had fewer people um, sort of gambling, if you will, right? Because you, you, you know when your meter's expired, it's expired, as opposed to hoping that you could squeeze an extra 15 minutes and weren't going to get caught by enforcement. So I think in a lot of ways it's had people, you know, try to guess less about, you know, whether or not they're, they know they bought two hours, they know what that two hours is, and it's it's uh, it's worked out pretty well. Yeah. Um, when you get that parking spot and it activates the meter, Yeah. Uh, and, you, and you're not quite sure how long it's going to be. Let's say you might think, well, I might get stuck in a line. 
it, uh, you get 50 minutes free to start with. Right. If you put a quarter and you now have 30 minutes total? That's correct. Oh, you yep. do? Oh, yep. okay. So yep. th that way there. Yeah, uh, you don't lose the 15 minutes. Yeah. It's, that's yours yeah. to keep, and, yeah. and uh, you, you just add on from there. Yeah. yeah. The, the one thing people should pay attention to, and it, and it just occurred to me tonight, the way you just described this, the way it works, is people I know sometimes have a tendency, particularly the younger people, they get they get their iPhone and whatever, and they sit in the car for a few minutes catching yeah. up in their messages, yeah. and they don't realize they're thinking they have the 15 minutes, but it starts to run when they park that's the correct. car. That's correct. That's right. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's right. right. So you want to you want to use that time right away so that you get that 15 <laughs> minutes. And yeah. and uh, but it's been a, you know, the 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 sensors that we bought to allow that 15 minutes. Again, they came at a cost, yeah. uh, but it was something that was important to the mayor to try to. Again, yeah. show the businesses that this isn't a money grab, right? Yeah. This and and you know people immediately think that meters are a money grab, but yeah. they're they're really as yeah. much as there's no denying that there's some revenue attached to them. It's not the reason why we did it. It's because everything else we tried clearly hadn't worked. And I'll tell you that as we've talked to businesses, nobody has come to us and said, "I don't have folks." You know, I've had folks that say they don't come anymore. Yeah. If anything, it's the opposite. Yeah. You know, people have commented that I can find. We've had people say to us. Why don't you inf why don't you do the meters on Sunday? Because Sunday's the only time I can ever find a place to park because it's a free for all, you know. And well, you and get a church down the street in the Dallinville. Yeah, right. That. So you get a lot of things that at the end of the day mean that some of the businesses yeah. we're, we're wishing that we had. We've had people, businesses from Maplewood Square, come to us and say, "What about us?" Yeah, you yeah. know. And and, and uh, something we'll have discussion about at some point in time. But I think by and large, people have seen them as a, as a positive, you know, even if they come at a small inconvenience, you know. Yeah. Um, have you had uh, sometimes when you when you start a new system, you end up having people call and complain, and you end up they appeal the tickets because they either yeah. they didn't know about the, the the meters, or they didn't have a credit card with them, or they didn't have a change, and yeah. uh, uh, with a, uh, assume after some dust settles in and say, well, we just can't keep making exceptions just because you don't pay attention to what's going on. So so for the first few weeks, we had a lot of folks out on the street trying to engage people and help them understand the system. Um, then we did some warnings for a while. So our, our um, ticketing devices allow their enforcement officers to issue a ticket, but it's a warning. No money due. It's just a, hey, I'm kind of bringing this to your attention. Um, and then no doubt after that, we still had folks that, that uh, you know, have only been down to the, the square once every six months to pay a bill. And they pulled into the lot across the street from uh, All Seasons Table and didn't realize it had become a pay lot. And I'll tell you that we were we were very, uh, we were very loose, quite frankly, in, in dismissing tickets and the, the good thing about the system is it shows the history. So, you know, if Ed Lucy comes in and says, hey, I, I, I didn't realize it, and, and we look at your history and, you you know, you're not a frequent frequent flyer with us, right? And you, we say we're going to give you a consideration on this one, but but from here on in you now know what the deal is with the square. So we did a lot of that. Um, we dismiss a lot of tickets every year for the right reason, which is to try to, when people come to us, uh, because, you know, we don't have signage for street sweeping and we don't have – and, and we try to always think about the resident's perspective and not get and, and we've had a lot of people say to us that they feel like even when they've had to come to us for something like that that we've been eminently reasonable so I, I think we've gotten that pretty right you know <laughs> quick story I, I was uh, had a reason to go to the clerk's office this week and I stopped in and did my business which didn't take very long but when I get off the elevator they head out to the street I had parked on Washington Street yeah and uh, I bumped into someone whom I knew and then uh, while we were chatting for a minute or two, someone came down in the elevator, or they, we both knew, and we started to have a three-way conversation, and I said to them all of a sudden, look, i got to leave. I only have the 15 <laughs> minutes. Because how do they uh, – before they used to have the, tr the, uh, the meter people on foot 
uh, tagging cars. Sometimes they would chalk the tires yeah. or whatever system they used. But I don't think they do it that way anymore, do they? No. So what we've generally said, Ed, with the meters is as much as the downtown still has a two-hour parking limit, um, you know, truth be told, it has not been an issue with folks who who stay longer than two hours because, again, generally speaking, if they're going to stay for that you know, for for the whole day, there's better options for them, right? So, so we have not gone around and tried to track vehicles that have uh, that have overstayed it. We haven't had any complaints about it. Um, we've more focused on just trying to make sure that the turnover happens, you know, by by use of the meter mechanism, and and that's worked. Yeah. But do they do it by car with the remote ability, or do they have to get out of the car and because they have to write the ticket, so they have to yeah. stick in the windshield. So what's great about the meters is. Um, Truly, as a parking enforcement officer is driving down the street, the meter is either flashing green or flashing red. So they're looking to the left and looking to the right, and the meter just tells them with the flashing light whether or not it's expired. And that's what tells them that they should pull over and, and, and see. So one of the things that we did, you know, you bring up the question about folks um, and, and sort of adjustments that we made. We did have a few instances initially where somebody said, hey, I, 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 I was over by two minutes. And, and Me. Yeah, you, right? <laughs> and, and so what we did, and of course, we're not looking to ticket somebody who's been over for two minutes, but yeah. the meter guy had, had no way to know that they were only there for two minutes. They walked up, the meter's expired. So we implemented a change to the meter so that when the meter expires, it actually counts down for another five minutes. It gives you like five State minutes, yeah, a little grace period to make yeah. sure that we don't end up, you know, getting somebody by mistake who was only there for a minute or two. So we're... We try to learn. We try yeah. to adapt. We yeah. try to make changes to it, you know, as much as you can to try yeah. to make it resident-friendly, yeah. you know. Yeah. Maybe as a contrast, you touched on a little bit earlier about the, the source of revenue. I think in the city of Austin, meter income is over $50 million a yeah, year. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah, we're not quite that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, I also think city of Austin, of course, they have a lot more reasons to need meters, and there's parking issues that they have that we don't and the traffic and so forth. But – for for large cities in many instances, that's a very large source it of is. income, and uh, it, I think it's more difficult to get tickets uh, reviewed and appealed and, and overridden in 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 larger cities than no, you've no been doubt. doing in more. One hundred percent. I think yeah. we we've had people say that to us who have called us up and said, um, you know, that we made a mistake, or or maybe it just ultimately wasn't fair, even if we didn't make a mistake, yeah. and we've helped them out, and we've had people say to us, listen. I appreciate that this was a, a fairly easy process. If I was in fill in the blank, I don't want to yeah, say where, yeah. this would have been a two-week arm wrestling contest. You right, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. you know, you try to, as long as it's for the right reasons, uh, the good news is everything mm -hmm. gets, you know, history on the system, and you try to keep the residents in mind as much yeah, as you possibly yeah. can, no doubt. One of the other projects, uh, and it's a big, big one, that you've been involved in and have some insight that maybe the average person wouldn't be aware of is the development for the new city hall. Yeah. And um, it's, it's moving along. Is it fair to be on time? Yeah, it does. So, so our schedule right now has us calling uh, calls for us receiving. I think everybody can see that the um, the, the road has been right. The, the, the old city hall is gone. The road is in that is connects Pleasant Street to Commercial Street. Um, the buildings are, are are making progress. The piece that we'll be moving into, we're expected to take possession of that sometime later in March. That soon. That soon. We have uh, so we've been hot at work. Um, as a matter of fact, just today, uh, opened up bids for from contractors and from subcontractors for all the work that we need to do. And so we're in the process of lining them up so that when we get the keys to the building, they can begin working. Uh, and it's our plan that we're ready to move in sometime in the late November, mid December time frame. So. Um, so before the new year. That's the. 
That's yeah. the hope, you yeah. know, if all goes well. Now, that, the, um, that's, that's a mixed-use development, which right. is going to have apartments, uh, commercial, by that retail on the, on the ground floor. Right. It's going to ha have condos? Well, we're the only condo, right? So the okay. City Hall building is a basically an attached condominium, right? Okay. So we've got five stories. There's nobody above us. It's not like we're sandwiched in. Um, but by nature of the fact that it's all attached and on one parcel of land, it's the, the legal form of ownership is as a condominium. Um, and so that's a condo. But everything else, as you mentioned, all the retail they're all leasing space from you know from the property owner, and then the rest of them are, are um, a rental, you know, transit-oriented rental. So you're the second or the fifth floor. Uh, we're the first or the fifth floor. Oh, so you have no retail on the on the street level for you? Uh, not under us, right? Uh, except for one small piece on the on the sort of far right-hand side that yeah. kind of um, juts into our building a little bit. For the most part, we're a vertical stack of of five stories, uh, one on top of the other. So right. the the first floor will be where most of your public, um, you know, facing things happen. So the council chamber will be literally walk in the front door and off to the right-hand side, and it'll be very easily accessible as well as three other meeting rooms for council meetings or any other meetings that might happen so that the public, you know, the old city hall, one of the challenges is people could be anywhere in the building and you really didn't know it. And this building should give us a lot more of an opportunity to, to control after-hour meetings and public access in a way that um, keeps the rest of the building secure after hours. Now, is the intention to have the entire complex that, that you're involved with as, as a city to be retained just for city use and not going to sublease or rent out any space? There's no extra space there to isn't. sublease, yeah. So yeah. so the old city hall was, uh, what, 110, 115,000 square feet. Uh, well, this is less than half that. So I think that this squeezes out, you know, sort of all the extra space that was there. And a lot of those offices, I mean, I think you know you're one of the first yeah. ones. That was at a time when space really wasn't at a premium, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it didn't cost you anything to heat any place, and offices were big. And um, so this is this is definitely more in line with the way that a traditional office building would be built now, with sort of efficient use of space and what have you. But there's no extra space to lease out to the Social Security or, you know, what might have been done in the old city hall. Yeah, yeah. And uh, one of the part of the city hall staff now is at 110 Pleasant. Right, which the city purchased at the time that they right. started to uh, look around and make decisions what, what where they were going to go. Do they have any immediate use for that when they uh, make the change over and come back to consolidate everybody? Yeah, nothing, nothing committed. Um, you know, certainly there's no shortage of folks. I mean, as soon as we bought the building, we had folks coming to us um, saying they'd like to buy it from us. Yeah. Uh, I think it was a real smart move that the city made. The cost of that building over the course uh, the cost to purchase it was not much more than what it would have cost us to lease that same space over the course of that period of time so right. and there's no doubt we could sell it now for more than what we paid for it right. you know, we paid 1.8 million dollars for the building 1.8 sounds uh, sounds uh, very low for this day and age uh, it does yeah so I, I think that we uh, I think we sort of caught something at the at the right time and, and it worked for us too though right yeah. I mean it, it definitely works but um, we're, we're ready to start having dialogue about, okay, what do we do? I think that if the city did decide to to sell it, then um, one of the nice things is we get to we get to control a little bit what the use is, right? So we don't just put it up for sale to the highest bidder. We'd put it out to an RFP for yeah. a use that we find desirable. But, you know, we also have other space needs that it may be able to fit in, yeah. uh, fit in with also. But it's right in a great location, right across from the senior center, right down from City Hall, right, right down from the T. So a lot of different possibilities. Uh, my thought, when I um, uh, with that space, even uh, when the when the uh, uh, relocation is finalized, um, 
since the uh, treasurer's office deals uh, with a lot of people paying bills that if it were there they m and left there, uh, that might be a practical thing too because that way there the, 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 uh, the people maybe have access to a, a, an easier place to go in and out when just paying a bill and leaving. Yeah, yeah so, so it's interesting. I mean, a few people have brought up the fact that, boy, the treasurer's office being there makes sense. And makes us feel good because it says that we got that right, yeah. even though it was a temporary location, right? right. I, I think that, and you've been in that building, you've been to the clerk's office. Right. For what we had to work with in the amount of time we had, I think we did pretty darn good coming up with something that really made sense for the I public. Agree. Yeah. Um, but I do think we want to get everybody back under the same roof. Yeah. I think that there's reasons why having the treasurer's office separated from everybody else wouldn't be operationally ideal, and uh, uh, some of it being the the funds that might transfer from one department to the other at the end of a day or the end of the week. But the treasurer's office in the new building is, so I talked about everything else being on the first floor. The treasurer's office is set up where literally, kind of like the old building, you, you can go up a set of stairs, just one floor, and boom, the office is going to yeah, be right there. Yeah. So I think it'll be pretty convenient for folks, even if it's not right at the street level. But yeah. um, but I would agree the current setup, for what we had to work with, actually uh, – Works pretty well. I think the people that are there like it there. Yeah, well, <laughs> so <laughs> they, they, they might give a petition to the city council you so know. that they would. Maybe that'll be in the uh, 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 the change the in the charter uh, review. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so you you joke Ed, but but on one occasion the mayor looked at me and said, you know, this this really works great. Maybe yeah. we, I said, listen, bite your tongue. Come on, we're in the middle of a we're in the middle of a project to try to get a, a yeah. new building built. But yeah. but it does feel good to know that. You know, and after the initial angst of people moving into a space and it's not the same amount of space they had before. And that that's, you know, yeah. um, once that angst wore off, I think people kind of said, you know what, this is there's a lot worse temporary spaces. I could show you people that have had to squeeze into trailers and this and that. And, yeah. and uh, we, we didn't have to do that. And it's worked pretty well. Yeah, uh, uh, there's a lot of numbers involved. But when in, in, in terms of uh, uh, Selling off the property and then eventually ending up with the condo, um, it, it, has it come in within the numbers that were kind of projected at the time? Because you deal with inflation sometimes and yeah. some other issues. Uh, so it, it absolutely has. I mean, I think that, you, you know, you may recall that, you know, we started this five you know years ago with sort of a roadmap. And without really knowing what we were going to be building for a city hall, um, and so at the time, we just kind of created some placeholders for what we thought it was going to cost us to build a police station, what we knew we'd need to get started for the city hall. And then as we got to the point more recently of, of knowing what those real numbers were, we were able to firm up the budget and get the final authorization that we needed from the council. But on a, on a, on a per square foot basis, um, you know, where we're landing with the city hall building is, you know, probably 30, 35 percent less than if we had built it on our own as a sort of standalone. So, uh, so there's no doubt it was a an economical solution for us. Um, public construction now is so expensive. You know, you, you build any building well, now. School costs, I just read in the paper about people building the towns and cities, building high schools and junior high schools or whatever. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Four or five, six hundred dollars a square foot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just, a, you know, listen, the economy's good. People are working, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, uh, but it means that when you go to do something, it costs you a little bit more. But, yeah. um, but we feel like, listen, we, we sold the land itself for $10 million. We got almost a $10 million grant from the state uh, because they liked the plan so much, which is w one of, if not the highest Mass Works grants that they've ever given. So so we started out with a, a pretty good starting point um, that uh, that really brought the cost down to something we could never have afforded to just build a police and city hall without being creative like we were. Yeah. 
The other uh, one of the other projects that you were involved early on was the was the uh, city's involvement with the uh, casino in Everett. Sure. And uh, th that was had kind of an interesting history. Um, and I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I have my facts correct, but uh, Malden uh, made a, a, a negotiated arrangement with uh, the Wynn people at that time yeah. for for the future benefit to the city of Malden. And it turned out, as I understand it, from what little I know, is that we did far better money-wise than a couple of communities who had contested the amount that they were going to get. And we ended up doing better than they did, and on top of that, they had legal expenses when they That's right. didn't gain the benefit of the, the, the suing. So we, um, you know, the mass gaming law was written so that any community that was in proximate, uh, you know, uh, to, to the casino being built uh, had the right to petition for what's called a surrounding community status. And and so we did that. And just based upon how close we are to, to the casino, the, the folks running it said, OK, we'll, we'll acknowledge, you know, but but let's sit down. And, and the law says we can negotiate with them for an amount that we think mitigates for the you know, quotation fingers impact of the casino. And you have two things you could do, Ed. You could sit down and try to negotiate something, or you could just go to arbitration and you present your case and they present theirs. And at the end of the day, the arbitrator picks, you know, one or the other. So, you know, we had a lot of discussion. I was a big advocate uh, internally with the mayor of saying, I really think the best thing for us to do is to be first. Always a risk that you look bad when the dust all settles, but but our feeling was that if we were first, that, uh, that there'd be a little bit extra in it for us by being first. So ultimately, we negotiated a deal that brings the city uh, almost $20 million over the 15-year life of the casino. Um, the comparison that we use is uh, Somerville and Chelsea, and it's not meant to knock them, but they went to, you know, they went to arbitration and um, and end up bringing in about half that amount of money over the same period of time. So no doubt about it that I think given where we were situated, given – the data that we had that showed us the impacts of it, which, you know, in the whole scheme of things, quite frankly, uh, it was not a lot of traffic coming through Malden. You know, Somerville had people coming through assembly and you had um, other communities that had a stronger negotiating position. And yet we ended up more than with more than anybody except Boston. Well, I, and I was also someone mentioned it wasn't anything from you, but that uh, even in the initial negotiation, that if Malden received less than what other people did, that they were going to. That's offset right. that. So it was a win-win situation and a little bit more foresighted than the other community. So we did ever reopen it, but the other thing that we had, uh, Ed, was um, we're the only community that got an escalator clause. So our payment the first year is X, and our payment the next year is X plus 2.5%. It goes up every year too. by 2.5%, yeah. which yeah. they refuse to do for anybody else. And over the course of 15 years, it adds up, right? Yeah, you know, the, the, the ravages, absolutely. The yeah. ravages of inflation. Ask Ben Franklin. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes, so, yes. I think it's the uh, eighth wonder of the world, you know, <laughs> compound interest. But um, so we did very well there. And, and you know, beyond the economics of it, uh, it's funny. I had, you know, conversations with folks over there just today about the fact that they're about to ramp up hiring. Um, and, you know, we built a relationship with them. And so one of the things we talked about is before we're going to hold an event, probably a week from Friday in Malden, where Malden residents who were interested in applying for jobs can come before they're made available to the public and, and sign up for interview slots before they they get filled up, right? So we probably hold it at the senior center. We haven't announced this yet, but but uh, hold it at the senior center. And, and before it gets made available to the general public, they'd be able to be guaranteed a slot at an interview. They would do the interviews in a, in a couple weeks after that at the Heinz Auditorium, and they're going to offer jobs on the spot. Yeah. You know, so all the residents who are 
either out of work, looking for work, or or for whom I like they, the action. Yeah, well, yeah, for you know, listen for for whom the, it's a step up from what they might be doing right now or what have you. Uh, you know, be on the lookout for that announcement because I think it's going to be. It, but because of our relationship, they're going to give us that opportunity to. Because the slots may get filled up fast, right? Once it gets put out there and everyone's on the computer, they, you know, you maybe that you're interviewing at, you know, midnight on a, on a yeah, Sunday. No, but those jobs, they, they're officially opening in June, I think. Yeah, the end of June. Uh, and they want target to open when the. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. Uh, I don't think there's any chance of them being off target based upon the penalties that would apply to the contractor if they're off target. Yeah. But we recently toured the facility, and it's. Uh, um, I mean, it's clear they're spending $2.6 billion, but uh, you, you walk around, it's just uh, it's an amazing yeah. amount of money being yeah. spent in a small yeah. parcel. You yeah. know? One of the things that's uh, as part of that, and, and of course um, uh, the, the Gaming Commission has kind of been deferring making any final decisions because yeah. there were some issues relative to the, the wind himself and the issues that came, came uh, surfaced in the process of that project being finished. Actually, it was early on and then. Um, is that the um, in theory in, uh, the gaming commission could have uh, and possibly would, but th I don't think it's going to happen. Deny the license to win because of the issues that occurred with win the, the owner or yeah. the major stockholder. Yeah, it, and uh, and I see the other day in the newspaper that uh, the, the corporation itself was settled there. Uh, with Nevada. With Nevada. Right. Uh, one of the things that, uh, uh, this is separate from Alden and the casino, one of the things, it gave a list in the, in the newspapers uh, of the various executives at different levels, HRs and whatever, who have uh, left since this uh, controversy surfaced. But I would almost think there were others still there that was could must have been aware of what went on because it was the, the sort of history that was... Uh, related to his situation was such that it would be extremely difficult if it were just limited to a handful of people. But again, sometimes at some point, the, yeah. they, they want to get by all of that. So my understanding is, and I haven't read it in its entirety, but my understanding is that the report from Nevada had concluded that, and there was a lot of turnover of folks. So probably more, when you talk about a handful, it was far more than a handful of folks. I, well, the I, at the top level, I was. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I tell you, there was a lot of senior folks, some folks that we met you yeah. know, through the negotiation process yeah. that, that yeah. are no longer with the organization. The board is entirely turned over. Yeah. Um, so I suspect that the strength of their sort of argument for no additional punishment beyond probably some financial fines is that that everybody that shows through the investigation that had, you know, knowledge and awareness. Now, mm -hmm. to your point, I mean, how do you know who heard something or, you know, had something who, whispered? Who wrote but the I, checks? Yeah, <laughs> but I, I think everybody yeah. that had some some involvement in, um, you know, not having it come to light, who maybe had the opportunity to, it does sound like is no longer part of the organization. Yeah. But it's no doubt a, a black mark, you know, for them that they've got to figure out how to get past, you know. Yeah. And then, you know, Ed, we always say to people that, the question asked of us wasn't whether or not we wanted a casino in Malden. Yeah. It was going in Everett one way or the other. Yeah, yeah. What we had a duty to do was to make the best of it for our residents, yeah. and I, I think, think that did, I think yeah. we did. You know, well, I think it was an outstanding job. One other kind of thing that's kind of interesting with when he was forced to leave the, uh, the and sell all his stock. That's right. And at the time, if I my memory served me correct, the stock was running about two hundred dollars a share. That's right. It, it's it, when he sold it. And it's it's now come up a little when it went down. Is now it's about one hundred and fifteen dollars. Yeah. So being punished at that time on paper meant that he got all that money then, which I think the stock will end up coming back uh, once the once the casino opens. So is that a prediction that the voter that the uh, the listeners at home can can bet well, on? Well, you know, if yeah. you want to pay one hundred fifteen dollars a share <laughs> now, and maybe it'll go back to two hundred. But no, the other part about that is 
the tax has changed. The tax rules changed the first of the 2019. His stock was sold in 2018, so he ends yeah. up getting on 17. So he gets the benefit of the yeah. old rules in terms of what the uh, gain they have to pay in taxes. So they punish the guy one way by taking away his job as, as the casino with his name, and but financially at this point it hasn't been a. Yeah, I don't suspect there's anything about however much you know, however amount of taxes he's paying or, yeah. or being forced to sell the stock that's gonna have him, you know, checking the price of milk anytime soon. I yeah. think it's more the the public shame, quite frankly, oh, of absolutely. being, you know, yeah. uh, on the yeah. top of the world and, and looked up to and, yeah. and uh you know, you can't put a price tag on that. You yeah. know what I mean? I think that's the bigger issue, yeah. you know. But um you know, I will tell you this, that our dealings with the folks in the organization, uh, whether it's Bob DeSalvio, who's the one running the whole organization over there, you know, Jackie Crumb's illegal counsel, and John Taco, who is the son of Steve Taco, a, a guy with a lot of Malden ties. I mean, they've been nothing but supportive of us as a community and it helped us every time that we've looked out. Anytime we've had a resident reach out, you know, looking to for a little bit of, a little bit of an extra push and and support for a job, and it's somebody we know. They've been responsive, so you know they got to get through their issue. But but at the end of the day, I think, like I said, I think we've done a pretty good job of positioning ourselves well for our residents, both financially and for things like jobs. You know, the, uh, the but the jobs themselves, although they uh, open up for uh, prospective opportunities, let's say a week or so. Yeah. But those jobs really, for the most part, other than an orientation period before the casino opens, will be won't really be available till June or so. Right? April, May. Yeah. Uh, so there's a fair amount of, you know, they've got to have a fair amount of lead time for training yeah. and what have you, right? So they're, a, a, I think, a brand with a fairly high level of expectation for their employees. So I think there's a little bit more time up front in training folks than, than you might imagine. So I, I think that they may make a job offer to somebody at the end of February that's for May. So it's a little bit of a lead time, but, um, you know, for folks that decide... Listen, some of the dealer jobs, you know, I, I think with uh, with the tips and what have you, you know, there are some pretty good paying jobs for folks that uh, uh, that have gone through the dealer school and are qualified for it. And the the, the uh, fact that someone I know uh, works for the government in one of the agencies and they're uh, planning to retire within a year, and um, uh, and they're fairly they're young enough that they still plan to do something. And that's what that's what he mentioned to me was that. Um, he thought maybe once once he actually formally retires from his position that he has currently that he'll end up getting a job at the casino. I think there's a lot of yeah, those type of jobs yeah, for yeah. folks and who say part time yeah, or full time. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's got to yeah. be a night person. I think a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. an old man like me that likes me in bed by eight thirty at night. I'm not sure that it's great for. But for folks that like to. You, well, you won't have to take yeah. you won't have to take the bus to Foxwood. Yeah. <laughs> a bit of other trivia is that. Both Wynn and Sheldon Adelson, who is another big big presence in in yeah. Las Vegas, have local connections. One is, I think, from Revere, and the other is from Dorchester. Yeah, Wynn was from Revere. Um, I want to say he knew Bob Kraft when they were both younger and, and had some connections way back when. But, yeah, there's... Uh, he had family, if not his direct family, that you know grew up off the Shirley Ave area down yeah. in Revere. So, yeah, yeah, definitely local ties. Ended up buying a piece of parcel, uh, a parcel land out in Vegas and built a bingo parlor and, you know, sort of off it went from there. Yeah. So yeah. Good story gone bad at the end, but, yeah, uh, yeah. you know. And, that, and that's sometimes, like I said. Life's got consequences, you know. Yeah, that's the punishment. You, that's you, it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's we're not at, the we're, money. It's the punishment. We're in a time end. when people are held accountable for that action, and, and yeah. you know, thankfully we are. Yeah. And uh, so it is what it is, you know. Yeah. But uh, as I said, you know, from our perspective, it was about 
trying to recognize what was in front of us and trying to do the right thing for the city. And I think it, uh, I think it'll turn out that we did, you know, that, um, job opportunity coming up from all the, is Everett and, and, uh, Chelsea or Somerville also doing it at the same time? Yeah. So, so in a fairly short window, the, the handful of communities that have a similar status to us will, will, you know, will have some, some of the similar opportunities before it's made available to the general public. I tell you that, you know, there'll probably be a lot of folks that, that despite you try to get the word out, they either don't hear about it, don't take advantage of it. But those that do, I think, will have an opportunity to, to make sure they get a seat at the table and get to interview for their preferred job. And, you know, hopefully it works out for some of them. Yeah. You know, I mean, we do have quite a few Malden residents. I think last time I looked, um, there had been well over $10 million in wages paid to Malden residents on the project so far. Oh, that's a, that's a, from, the, from the laboring man. The from the construction. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yep. So, yeah. So quite a bit of money paid there. Yeah. And, and um, you know, we've got we've got some folks here, a guy like Kenny Antonucci down at Wood 6, you know, Malden guy, his family's been here a long time. He was one of their first hires as an engineer on the project. Okay. And yeah. he had reached out, reached out to me for some help. And, you know, yeah. we reached out and said, hey, you know, we will go to you. It's time for you to show the loyalty back to a Malden guy yeah. who's who's uh, qualified to work on the job. He's civil engineer. He's been there from from the moment they broke ground over there. And yeah. I talked to him all the time. Loves it. You know what I mean? So uh, all it takes is a handful of people to get a job that makes a difference for their family. And, you know, that feels pretty good, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, uh, are there some other big projects that are going on or some other projects in the city that you've sure. been involved in or that are still on the drawing board or, or also maybe making – Headway? You know, one of the ones, Ed, that I get very involved in is just the whole topic of school funding and and, um, and state aid and trying to it's, – it's, it is the single largest item that funds our budget besides property taxes is what we get in state aid. And yet it's an incredibly – complicated formula that you that most folks don't understand and i've really taken it to try to understand every last little nuance of it so that we can try to make sure that we're getting what's due us and try to position ourselves to um you know to 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 make sure that you know where something can go right or go left that we make sure that it goes in the direction that's best for us so um we meet regularly with the department of education uh to to discuss things that are a concern for us things that we think are unfair to us um, we had a conversation with them last year that uh, resulted in a, a huge benefit to us. We, we, we basically objected to their interpretation of some language around um, how much we should be charged for, for kids that have uh, attended a charter school. We thought the state law said that we should have been capped at a lower number. And after some pretty intense dialogue and great support from our state legislation, um, you know, they changed course and saw things our way, which give them all the credit in the world for being willing to be good listeners and, and sort of re revisit it. But it was a multi-million dollar impact every year, every year, a multi-million dollar impact. So um, right now what's going on on the state level for, for education funding is for years there's been talk about how the foundation budget really understates what it costs to provide a quality education. And um, there's multiple proposals up there uh, at the state house to try to deal with it. So it finally seems to be getting some momentum. I know that the mayor and I've uh, he's got my complete support, I, I think, is throwing his weight behind something called the Promise Act. And I tell anybody sort of watching at home that this is something that really could have a huge positive impact on our public schools by by not only moving up the foundation budget, but bringing substantial additional state aid with it, substantial additional state aid. So that's a that's a big thing that I'd say that um, 
probably wasn't getting as much focus over the years as it should have. We we sort of waited for the numbers to come out and said, well, the numbers are what they are, and I think we're trying to be a lot more proactive with it. And I've kind of taken that on as something that that I own and have developed a level of expertise in that I think has been has been beneficial to us. But that's a that's a big one. Now, are other communities uh, are, did some other communities do the same thing as Marlin did in this in this area this past year or so? We were the only. We were in a very unique spot as it related to this this sort of um, vaguely worded state law about what would happen when your community. So we have a, we had reached a threshold on the number of uh, on the assessment that we were getting for kids that are attending you know charter schools, and yet our school district at one time was in uh, sort of a lower ten percent of the schools and they had come out of it and and it triggered some things that the law wasn't entirely clear on and so. You know, through that dialogue, we were able to land in a place that was really beneficial to us. It still kept all the kids that had a commitment from the charter school in the charter school fully funded. You know, full disclosure, my kids went to the charter school, got a wonderful education. Um, but the public schools and the charter schools, you know, both have an important role in the city. And, and in the job that I sit in now, I want to make sure that, that the public school piece of it gets looked out for. But we were in a very unique situation. There was nobody else that found themselves in it. Is that because of the charter school population or Marlin students? Or? It's a combination of the fact that we have a, a healthy population in the charter school, which pushed us up against this cap, and we were in the bottom 10% and came out of the bottom 10%. And those two events had never collided before. And so when you read the state law that said what should happen there, it was subject to interpretation exactly you know how how that should impact mm. what it is that we get charged for kids mm. going to the charter school, and ultimately the Department of Education was very creative in coming to the table with a solution that was both beneficial to us and yet didn't harm anybody, you know, that was attending to the attending the charter school. So mm. it was a, it was really a win win that they came up yeah. with, you know. Yeah, a couple of, uh, two or three years ago, I had a, a representative from charter school on my on the show here, and I, I, one thing I did know at that time uh, was that. Um, I, they gave me a list of the various school systems that uh, from communities that had students going to uh, uh, the charter school, and the assessment for the pupils varied by communities. The more the, the the higher the student student cost was for a community, that's right. The more money the charter school got. Yeah, so, so the money follows the student, right? So the idea is, if you're a student in in uh, in Malden, was going to cost the city sixteen thousand six hundred dollars on a per student basis if the student leaves and that amount of money is what follows if you're in Revere and the amount is twenty thousand dollars then that student brings twenty thousand dollars to it so yeah the the idea is and it's all fundamentally fair when you look at it and then you can look at individual pieces and people object to it and it all just depends on your perspective you know how you find it you know yeah well one of the dilemmas obviously is it's a political issue more than an educational issue in the voting process of the state house and so if if you end up restructuring the uh, the formula in all likelihood that's going to mean uh, maybe a benefit to some communities like Malden but it also might offer out that it's going to be a, a cost factor so for towns let's say rather than cities and so it, the end result is the people uh, as much as they may be interested in educating education for for all the all the uh, residents of this who have children in the school system the ones that in their community are going to get priority and therefore you could you're gonna get. You're gonna have to 
you're going to have to get past the politics. So, so everything's a negotiation, right? As, yeah, a, yeah. As, a, as, a, as, a, as a good friend of mine, Scott Smith, says everybody's got to eat. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, you're absolutely right. The folks that are representing yeah. those towns for whom this might not be as big yeah. of an issue for certainly aren't going to be looking to fund this solution. Yeah. And so how the governor and the Senate and the House comes up with the solution and funds it is ultimately their challenge. Yeah. Uh, but I think they've made more headway and, and our Senator Lewis has spent a lot of time on this. It's something he's been working on, I think, from almost the moment, moment he got elected. Um, I think they finally feel like they've got some momentum that they have never had before. It's not to say there aren't some huge hurdles to overcome. Uh, but just today I had a call, a call with some folks from Boston, you know, the city of Boston, who wanted to reach out and make sure that, that Malden was on board with helping to provide whatever momentum we could for this, right? So people are – and that has not happened – you know, in the 10 years this has been talked about. So people seem to finally be pushing for the momentum, and it's just a matter out of what flavor I think the, the changes take. Yeah. But they'll find a negotiation yeah. that, you know, balances it all out, you know? Yeah. Well, um, my understanding, and I, I, I think I, I, I was given the information from a source that I think is reasonably accurate, that the, the reason it happened the way it did for the benefit of all was as much by you being involved in that pro project as anybody else that you were able to determine, in your, as you mentioned earlier, the vagueness of the language gave opportunities to, to give a different interpretation, and that was through your reference that that had a lot of reasons why it worked the way it did. Yeah, no, I, I think, uh, listen, it was a team effort, right? There was, I want to stress that, you know, you don't get this type of magnitude of a change at the Department of Education and probably all the way up to the governor's office without the support of folks like uh, Senator Lewis. Well, that's and Rep. particularly Rep. You know, true yeah. at that point, yeah. Yeah, with the, well, that was, the, yeah. you got to find the clue to get well, the you, No, you're absolutely right. So at yeah. the end of the day, Ed, it really comes down to pulling out, right, it's a little bit of the, the sort of not that fun part of pulling out the, the law and starting to parse every yeah, word and yeah. saying, this could mean this to one party. And quite frankly, my job is to look at it from the most favorable place that it may come out from Alden. And yeah. and that's what we did. And, and uh, listen, i got to be honest, I thought it was going to be a long battle to get what we felt was due to us. Uh, and I, again, I can't stress enough how much credit I give uh, Commissioner Wolfson at the Department of Education for he came into these meetings, I, I think, believing that that we just needed to understand the way it worked. And I think he was willing to listen to our perspective and said they've got some valid points. And he came back with a very fair solution. And I give him nothing but kudos for being yeah. willing to do that because yeah. some people would dig their heels in. Opposite to what you just said, um, when they do the formula for the um – the lottery reimbursement for the communities. Um, there are communities, uh, smaller obviously in size, who may not have one outlet in the community right. for, uh, yep. for for purchase of tickets, and yet because everybody has to get satisfied, is right. those communities on a, on a basis are treated fa more favorably than a Chelsea or Revere right. or Everett that other, or even Mall that has a very large volume of sales, but. They don't have, you know, you have to go out of town to buy a ticket to the mass millions or whatever, right. and yet they share in, in, in some ways the same as Marlin does in, right. for, for, the, for the activity. So, so you go to Wellesley, right? And Wellesley goes, you know, you say to Wellesley, the hey, w Western Wellesley. Yeah, Western Wellesley. <laughs> you know, what right do you have getting all this lottery income? You're not generating any of the players, right? right. They tend right. not to come from, uh, from some of those towns. They don't have as many outlets, not as much density. Right. And, of course, their response back is that we get more in, in state aid and, and some of the various programs that it gets towards Gateway City. So it all tends to be a fight that if you throw it all up in the air, it probably lands on the same spot that it does, and you can just move the money from bucket to bucket and decide how you get there, you know? Yeah, yeah. 
Um, the, the uh, are there some other projects that, that are in the in the mill there in Mall that are maybe of some concern to citizens or some benefit to people uh, that you're involved in uh, beyond just those kinds of things? You know, you, you you mentioned you and I spoke I think before the uh, um, before the show started on on uh, charter reform. You know, so there's a, a committee that the mayor had put together. It's got representation from the council, myself and Maria Louise from the mayor's office. Um, for the first time in probably a, a fairly long period of time, getting together and taking a look at the charter. Uh, Karen Anderson did a lot of work to try to make the charter, uh, put it together in a format that it can be reviewed like this. And now we're really just taking a critical look at, given who we are today and, and uh, maybe how other communities have addressed some issues and, and having dialogue about modernizing the charter in some way, shape, or form. And so that'll be an interesting discussion that will take us probably – months on end um you know we met right before we came here tonight that's why it was uh, was almost late an hour and a half of talking about it flew by and we didn't even scratch the surface so um that's a pretty big initiative um we are uh you know i've been involved with council spatafora on the ordinance committee and trying to help craft some of the marijuana uh regulations for for adult use you know marijuana to try to move that forward i think the voters in Malden voted that they want it so i think that the the council is committed to to just coming up with the uh, the rules and regulations that will support it. Um, there's quite a few things up in the air. We we uh, we made a lot of changes, Ed, this year, and I think it's worth noting, not to go all the way back to where we began on the parking side, we made some significant changes to winter parking this year. Um, it's one of the most challenging things for our residents. Uh, in past years, what's happened is every November 1st, we've basically cut the parking in the city in half, and we've alternated years and said you either need to park on the even side or park on the odd side. And so we took a look at that. We were the only city that had that type of system in place where on a date certain, we literally cut the parking in half. And it's been that way for 40 years. And, and as we looked at it, we said, boy, this started before the cell phone and the Internet existed. And we have other ways of communicating with residents that we didn't have back then. So what we did this year is we said, why don't we have it start when the first storm is in the forecast? And that was the one that happened you know, just a little bit over a week ago. So when we knew that storm was coming, we put out the word to residents to say, okay, winter parking regulations begin. We got tremendous positive feedback from the literally over 10,000 residents who rely upon the street to park every night that they didn't have to scramble for the last 77 days to find a place to park to leave one side of the street empty when there wasn't an inch of snow on the ground, you know? So that was a huge change that we made. It definitely made the first storm a little bit more challenging, but again, we think that um, it was the right thing to do for residents. At the end of the day, it meant that for 77 days, we weren't out there writing tickets for people being on the wrong side of the street. Doesn't matter what the revenue impact was, it was the right thing to do for residents. And so we're gonna keep looking at how we can try to find the right balance, um, you know, there. So, so we've got, you know, a lot of things going on to just continue to try to make parking as friendly as it can be in a city that, you know, when you look at it compared to 30 years ago, there's a lot more cars and a lot more residents than there were, you know, parking on the street than there were a long time ago. I mean, uh, and more multi-unit multi houses. And, yes. Uh, so there's definitely more multi-unit uh, multi housing. But but generally speaking, and I know there's a lot of dialogue in the city about the, the pros and the cons of those, and that's all healthy dialogue. But most of those <clears throat> provide their own parking because they're required to by permit. So the stress you feel in the neighborhoods isn't from that. It's generally from a two-family home that, that a generation ago, you know, might have had two, maybe three cars in it, and now it has six or seven because, you know, adult children that, that might be living at home or a couple of roommates decide to rent an apartment and they, they, they each have a car. So 
the dynamics of the economy have changed such that it's just put more pressure on it. And as I said, there's a healthy dialogue about housing and the pros and cons of it and what it does to the economics of the city. I think parking is beyond that. I think parking is really influenced more by just a change of, of what we are today. I mean, I, I grew up a, a mother, father, six kids, one car. Right, you know who's got the car right now? It's <laughs> myself, my wife, and three sons, and there's five cars. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, <laughs> everything yeah. has changed. You know, yeah. uh, I had a thought. Uh, your system probably worked better. I had thought at one point, uh, not too long ago, that the city would benefit if they, when they send out the tax bills, particularly with uh, a lot of absentee owners, and the tenants would have no idea of the parking requirements of community when they first come here and there's no signs on the yeah. most of the streets. Yeah. If they insert it in, in the tax bill, or just a reminder, or the water bill, which is sent out every every month, uh, just remind people that, you know, there was, that, that was when the order and even system yeah. would go in place. And uh, again, uh, people would know there were new tenants, new residents in the community, new homeowners. And uh, So we're going to do that. I will yeah. tell you this. We're going to start doing more direct mail. Yeah. Um, but you're 100% correct, and a lot of times it's getting the person who's getting the tax bill or getting the water bill is not the person parking on the street. Right. It's just the nature of who you're getting it to. So you're relying upon them communicating either with their tenant, and if they happen to live in the house themselves, then maybe it's more apt to happen. But right. if it's an absentee landlord, it's less likely to. Um, what we did do this year for the first time was we truly took out a, a paid ad on the front page of The Advocate and, and then wrote an article that explained it to try to I think we've done a great job of getting to the folks that are on the various social media platforms, but we have a lot of our residents that, that don't necessarily frequent those, myself being amongst them. Who? Uh, me. I'm a dinosaur. I don't want anything to do with that. You too? Yeah. I thought, I thought uh, when you read the ask, I thought you were yeah. talking about me. No, no. So, so we, we, we did <laughs> yeah. the advocate to try I, to— I didn't even—and I get the advocate—excuse me. Uh, I, I get the advocate, and I didn't even see the article. I don't, the front I page have, of the paper, I, the I top half of it. it. How could you miss that? Spent 300 bucks on that. Um <laughs> But it's an indication of things that we're going to try to do more and more of to try to because because it's hard. You're right. There's no street signs for winter parking. And, and I'll tell you, I've talked to other cities, Chelsea, Everett, Somerville. Because of the varying nature of winter parking, as much as we have some work to do to get street signs up for street sweeping, winter regulations being the odd, the even and trying to put it into words, nobody has signage. Right. So. In that case, we're not behind the times. We just continue to try to find a way that is foolproof in getting to the residents. Ed, we drive around the city, the parking enforcement staff does, and they'll go a few nights and drop a, a winter parking rules flyer on any car that's on the street, right? They happen not to be on the street on that night, or, or they, they get up in the morning and they say, what's this? And they, you know, they toss it away. So you got to try to get to people through multiple mediums and hope that one of them resonates with them in a way that, because the last thing we want to be doing is sticking our residents, but... You know, it is a challenge plowing the streets when this cars on both sides of them and you get any any substantial snow, you know. Yeah. Well, one thing that might help the, the, the people who are receiving any of those phone calls when the people get the tickets for the parking problem, when the city does insert those in the tax bills or the water bills and the people call and say they didn't know the rules or whatever, they say, well, they, you know, who owns your home? And then they say, well, my, the upstairs person, well, they received the notice and they should have told you. Yeah, yeah, no, so it's a val it's a valid yeah, so point, and it we we've work, it would, and it's it would help and a little bit anyway. And it's an existing system where we're yeah. doing a mailing, and the and the company we use to do that has a process for, for doing inserts. So yeah. I, I, it's absolutely something we're going to do, and hope that, as I said, there's not one communication method that's going to get to everybody. What you have to do is have enough of them that yeah. eventually you get to all of them, and that's yeah. what we're trying yeah. to get to. Yeah. Well, it's surprising as it is, our hour is up. 
No, come on now. We didn't just... touch on all of the things. We that's what always about. happens, Ed. We'll, we'll have to bring you back, but I appreciate, Ron, some of these things you've said I think I don't think people are, were aware of, and I think the, particularly the thing with job opportunity, that's a great motivator for people to pay attention to Yeah, that. look for that announcement coming in the next few days. Yeah. This is literally something I spoke to about today. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's, again, for a Malden resident who's looking for either a better job than they have or is yeah. out of work, take advantage of it yeah. because I will tell you that and I can't make any promises, but these folks have been good to all the residents who have, who have applied yeah. to jobs, and hopefully it works. Hopefully it works out yeah. for somebody. You know. Well, thanks very much for coming on. Happy and, to. And, uh, yeah. For those that only saw part of the show, or you know some of them might be interested, the show will be rerun on Saturday and Sunday this weekend, taped. And hopefully, if you missed it, you'll have a chance to see it then. Thanks very much, Ron. And I think we had a, a, a productive evening. Thanks, Ed. Happy to do it anytime. <laughs> have a good night. Well, I might bring you back. Bye-bye.